filibuster is supported through patreon by listeners like you check us out at patreon.com slash filibuster we also get support from the ehrlich law office discrimination wage and litigation solutions for the district of columbia and northern virginia they handle workplace discrimination non-competition and non-solicitation litigation civil rights and a whole lot more for a free consultation go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster The metropolis that is Richmond, Virginia is not known for its uh, TV and film production, but I got to see this week, mere steps from my office, uh, Claire Danes in the flesh. They were filming a new season of Homeland here in Richmond, Virginia, and they were filming one part of one episode of that show directly across from my office in the building where my parking deck is. So I saw Claire Danes uh, running around. It looked like she was maybe directing the episode, but she was just running around doing stuff, and I saw her over there and did not interact with her in any way, shape, or form. Um, but I got to wander through the production area a little bit because it was early enough in the morning that they had not locked things down when my coworkers came in later in the day. They had to go all the way around and out a different way and, uh, across, uh, streets and such and so forth. But I just got to blindly wander on through and see Claire Danes. And I did not get to see Mandy Patinkin, unfortunately, but, uh, Claire Danes is awesome. So I got to see her and give her a mental... Hey, what's up? Do you have six fingers on your right hand, sir? No, I don't. Okay, that's good. It, it, that means Mandy Patankin wouldn't have killed you when he saw you. He might have killed me for other reasons. Nah, he's a good dude. Either. He's a good dude. He wouldn't kill you for other reasons. I don't think he has a long track record of murdering people. Yeah. Uh, he's a good singer. I know that about Mandy Patankin. That's true. He's got uh, multiple albums, right? As well as um, theater. Yeah, I know he's a big stage yeah. actor. He's a uh, musical theater dude. Nicole Kidman once yelled at a law school classmate of mine. Uh, my, mo- my mom has been in a movie with Nicole Kidman. Oh, nice. My uh, mom is now a professional extra in uh, my hometown of Cincinnati, Ohio, and she was in a movie with Nicole Kidman and thought she was very frosty and not friendly. Oh, that's too bad. Uh, they were shooting, I think, The Interpreter? in DC when I was in law school and uh, a friend of mine uh, lived in DuPont circle and she went down into the Metro. Uh, maybe it was Woodley park. It was somewhere on the red line. And um, I guess they were shooting essentially B roll for the film, just extra little bumper shots, but they wanted to have Kidman in the shot. And um, my, my classmate Jen walked right through it and Nicole Kidman like, laid into her a little bit apparently see see my mom is right i don't want to judge nicole kidman on you know one thing i guess it, it, she could have been having a bad day it could have been a long shoot it made you had a bad well. day benjamin good night i'm leaving <laughs> we ben is doing everything he can to end the podcast that song that song is intolerable and i will not oh it's real it. bad no it's real bad i'm sorry fam I did it just for the lulls. And by the lulls, I mean to annoy those two gentlemen. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is, was, Filibuster, the Black and Red United. 
I'm Adam, joined for the final time by Ben and Jason. We're all from blackandredunited.com, which is probably also shutting down after this. Uh, we write about soccer. We talk about soccer. Specifically, we wrote, we wrote about we soccer. We wrote about soccer. We talked about specifically DC United and Major League Soccer most of the time. Um, all of these things no longer exist, and it's all Ben's fault. Um, tonight, in this final episode, we are talking about DC United's uh, abortive preseason. It's too bad they they played one preseason game, and now they won't be allowed to play anymore because of Ben. Uh, in the second, Wait, I, 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 I not only destroyed this podcast and this website, but also MLS preseason. Yes, everything you touch oh, turns awesome. to dust. Um, LAFC is going to be particularly sad because this was supposed to be their expansion year. We even talked are going to talk to uh, Alicia Rodriguez in the second segment about it. Um, we won't let her know that the season's been canceled and MLS is folding because of Ben. Um, ben, you're the guest of honor here tonight. <laughs> what are you drinking? Well, at least I have something good to uh, end the podcast on. Um, I went to uh, one of Richmond's uh, most well-regarded breweries this weekend, uh, tri- Triple Crossing Brewery, and they have and their flagship IPA is called Falcon Smash, uh, and it's a really good IPA. And I got it in a Crowler, uh, which, if you don't know, is a 32 ounce can that they self can at the brewery. So they pour it straight from the uh, tap into the can and then uh, seal the top on with a special machine. So it's like a growler, except it's one use and in a can form. So, uh, yeah, there's a company that went around installing them at, or I guess still probably yeah. does go around installing them at small breweries. It's pretty cool. Yeah. It's, it's, it's good stuff. Yeah. So, uh, Falcon Smash is a quite excellent IPA. It was. Um, it also no longer exists. Oh, man. My, my, my powers don't even uh, <laughs> stop at soccer podcasts and soccer websites, but even just uh, uh, breweries and anything I want. Everything you touch turns to dust. Okay. Well, <laughs> how about uh, I now love the New York Red Bulls? <laughs> so, are they gone too now? They were already gone as part of MLS. You just went on record saying something that is obviously false. Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, ugh, I, I got kind of <laughs> lost in all that there. Um, <laughs> I have... Uh, I, I went into a liquor store at random. I was coming out of the grocery store. It's directly across the street. Um, and just wandered in for no particular reason. Um and picked up uh, Underwood uh, Pinot Noir. It's an Oregon wine made by uh, Union Wine Company. Um, it's cheap, but it's good for 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 like eight dollars a bottle. It's a pretty good bottle of wine. So um, I grabbed that as an impulse buy, and now I'm impulse drinking it. Well done. Nice. Uh, we're recording. The year of wine. We're recording on Mardi Gras right now. It is currently Tuesday. And so I'm drinking a a actually on theme uh, drink. It's a Vieux Carré named for the French Quarter in New Orleans. It is uh, equal parts rye whiskey, cognac, and uh, sweet vermouth with dashes of Peychaud's and Angostura bitters. It's basically a New Orleans-ified Manhattan, and it is really good. Uh, It is a fantastic cocktail, and it's very easy to make. 
Um, traditionally, I think it's supposed to have a, a spoonful of Benedictine in it. I don't have Benedictine, uh, but it's it's good even without it. So I'm, I'm pretty pleased with with my choices tonight, even though this is now the final episode of Filibuster. But that's not because of my choices. That's because of Ben's choices. I mean, Adam, it, it sounds like you've had a bad day. You can't see my glare because this is an audio medium. I can feel it. Good. It, we do have something happy to talk about. DC United played a game of soccer last week. The preseason is upon us. DC United played their first preseason game, the black and red taking on uh, Malmo in their now traditional preseason matchup. Um, Malmo are, are the Swedish champs. They're a bit further along in preseason, a lot closer to their season opener than DC United, um, which is why it's a little bit impressive that DC United got on the board first through Darren Maddox. Uh, Malmo came back after DC United subbed out most of, I think all of their starters. Um, Malmo scored two late goals to, to win uh, two to one. Um, this definitely did look like a first preseason game though, Jason. Yeah. Uh, you could see United run out of gas around by my count. It was around the 27th minute, um, which is, you know, what we see every year. We see the team run out of gas sometime early in the first half, because as much as you work hard on the physical side of training, there's no replicating a game situation. And also, they probably had done some sort of morning work uh, on top of that before before they took the field. Um, Malmo definitely looked fitter. Um, they're more of a possession team on top of that, so the, the combination of those two things certainly left United uh, scrambling a little bit as the first half wore on. But um, there were moments that you could see some good things happening, but we're weeks away, and, and Ben Olsen has talked about the preseason program has mostly been about making sure he wants this to be one of the fittest teams in the league. And he's been trying to make sure they get there. Um, and so there hasn't been that much time to focus on um, the nitty gritty details. There's apparently been a lot of um, film work and what Olson referred to as classroom sessions. I know they posted a photo from their hotel with Olson uh, standing up next to a, um, what looked like a PowerPoint presentation for the room. So um, they're throwing a lot at the players right now, and and it hasn't all caught on yet because it, you need to put it into practice, and putting it into practice takes time. And if you've got to spend all this time on fitness stuff, you don't necessarily have time to um, put the theory into uh, the physical world, um, and that's kind of where they were. Um, you also had multiple players, uh, multiple starters, I should say, um, Missing this game, uh, Lucho Acosta, David Osted, we are assuming is going to be a starter. Um, Steve Birnbaum was unavailable. Taylor Kemp, they're still um, going slow with him because this was his first full week of unrestricted training. So um, with all of those guys, Russell Canals also had a um, uh, some sort of LCL issue um, in his knee. Um, so all, all of that meant, you know, a very – unfamiliar lineup um obviously we'll get to later in the show but one of the starters from this game is no longer in camp so um it was a little bit disjointed um there were good things I, I saw some good moments from Zoltan Stieber um from Ulysses Segura I liked what I saw pl- receiving the ball in traffic especially um the fact that he hit the post with a header you know that adds to it but um 
it, there there were moments that were really positive. Um, they attacked going heavy down the right side with um, Oriola and De Leon. That was a, a a positive. Those two need to be a very good partnership down that side. Um, and I, I would say that given that Malmo is that far ahead in the preseason, the fact that United was able to um, sort of weather the storm as the half wore on and then come out after halftime and actually uh, control the first 15 minutes of the half before things, you know, the, the subs from both sides, um, you get that weird, um, it's, it's still sort of the same game, but it's not really anymore. Um, you change all those players out um, and things happen. And, and from there, eventually Malmo, apparently, according to their own match report, um, switched to a 3-4-3 at the end to try and, and for them, this was their last game before they headed back to Sweden. They, I think they've already played a Swedish cup match by now, if I'm not mistaken, um, or, or it's coming up this, the next couple of days. Um, and they, you know, they use this as a training exercise to say like, well, what do we do if a team is tired, but protecting a one nothing lead? How do we manage that? So they threw the kitchen sink at United and eventually it paid off. But, um, you know, the first, 15 minutes of both halves were, were positive. And uh, at this time of the preseason, that's really about as much as you're going to get. You're not going to see your team look really, really good at this point um, because they've had barely any time to actually practice the soccer side of things. It was nice to see Darren Maddox uh, score a goal, even if it was um, off a weird deflection that put him in behind. He still had to, to finish that. We saw some one-on-ones go wasted last year and we've seen Maddox waste one-on-one opportunities in his career. So it was good to see him uh, do well on that. I know he, he skied a shot earlier. I'm, I'm basing all of this on reading back because I was at work during the game and unable to actually watch it. And for whatever reason, IMG doesn't allow replays of the stream <laughs> on YouTube. So I haven't, I, I wanted to right. watch it over the weekend and was prevented. Um, but what did you make of, of, the attacking play in particular. Uh, I, I liked what I saw. Um, Maddox got himself into some dangerous spots, particularly in that first 15 minutes of the second half. Um, I thought United started to find him a little more. Uh, he started to make a little bit more. Um, he was a little more insistent with his runs and, and started to figure things out a little bit for himself as much as it was the, the team underneath figuring out what to do with him. Um, he probably should have had, uh, a goal right before he scored his goal. Um, it's kind of funny how things work because the chance before his goal, uh, Bruno Miranda, who came in at halftime and actually played really well. Um, he, he might've been of all the players that played, he might've boosted his stock the most. Um, but Miranda burst past his man, got in some space, uh, went to play the ball to Maddox, who would have had an absolute tap in from about five yards out. Um, from, at least from my, my, uh, stream, I wasn't 100% able to tell whether the pass was simply behind Maddox or it got deflected by a defender. There was a defender very close and it could have been deflected, but as you said, there's no replay. Um, there was, you know, we're trying to keep track of a game, uh, as it's happening. So I didn't want to rewind and miss some things. So, uh, I don't know exactly what happened, but it was it was very close to an easy goal. And then moments later, United gets their goal from Stieber tried to play Maddox in behind the pass ramped up off of a defender um, and looped in. And that actually helped Maddox stay on side and caught the entire Malmo defense off. 
Um, and so he just, he came in alone and drew the keeper and then um, opted for power and just powered the ball past him. Um, so that, that side is good. It's good for Maddox to get himself a goal in his first organized game of any kind um, with the team. Um, yeah, I, I thought he was a, a bit of a handful, especially as that the game went on. Um, but he will, I mean, the, the knock on Maddox has always been, um, there's a certain lack of tidiness when it comes to his first touch. There's a certain, um, tendency to, to waste chances and he's going to have to, he's going to have to be the kind of guy that gets chances in bulk. Um, I think to be successful, he's going to have to be someone who is constantly looking dangerous and maybe we'll have games where three or four chances go by the wayside before he scores. Um, but the good news is that if you're getting that many chances, it means you're probably in control of the game. Um, so, you know, I, I saw some things I liked. I, I mostly though, when I think of what was positive about the attack, I think about, um, Stieber's, uh, distribution, his cross field balls, especially when, um, at halftime, it seems like they maybe told him to look for the switch more often because, he was able to pick out uh, Bruno Miranda with 50, 60 yard passes over and over again. And that's a, that's a pretty impressive skill. It's hard to defend against. And he's able to put those passes right where the opposite winger needs. Um, so that's a big plus. Um, it was Segura, interesting to see him on the play inverted as well. I know, I know he, yeah. he spent a significant chunk of his time in this game playing on the right instead of the left. And he's, yeah. he's pretty, he can play with both feet, but he's pretty strongly left footed. Uh, right. And so playing on that right side and hitting diagonal balls that are kind of in swinging for lack of a better term is, is an interesting look. And I think given the acquisition of Emil Assad, and we talked about that in depth last week, and we'll, we'll talk about it a little more later in this segment, uh, you know, given Assad's acquisition, it's good to see that Stieber can play more than just the left wing. Uh, or or yeah. fill in for for Lucho in the middle. He can play anywhere along that attacking three and and look good doing it. And that's probably going to be important for DC United this year. Yeah, uh, having you know having a player as talented as he is able to play three different spots in the lineup, um, it, it really adds to the depth uh, across the field. That you don't just have to say that uh, if Ariola's out, for example it doesn't become like, well, Miranda's got to play serious minutes and we still don't know. He only just turned 20. Um, So there's still, he played well in this game, but consistency is always going to be a concern with a a younger player. Um, But having Stieber available to play all three of those spots and play well, uh, you know, to be effective, um, it really becomes uh, a positive for him and a positive for the team. I mean, um, in this game, even though he spent a lot of time out on the right, more time than on the left, um, he was still probably the most effective player uh, for the team in terms of creating chances. Um, his set piece delivery was really, really good, um, which is a really important thing, especially with the road heavy early part of the season. Um, you can win and lose games on set piece play if, uh, you know, as uh, to use uh, some Olsenese, uh if the soccer's not there. Um, you still have to find a way to, to get points and win the game. And if you can be really good on set pieces, um, you can be a threat and United looked dangerous on just about every corner that Schieber whipped in. They all, they were all perfect services and, you know, Segura hit the post. They had another one that, that they got the header to, they just sent it wide. Um, I thought they did really well in that, in that department. So 
Um, he looks like he's not, th- this is not a player that's consigned, consigning himself to um, being the fourth man in a um, attacking midfield rotation. He's not going to just settle for being on the bench, um, which is what you want to see. Um, you want to see everybody playing their very best uh, to win those spots. So um, the preseason is going to be very interesting in those positions because United now has four really good players fighting for three jobs, uh, most likely. I don't I don't think we're going to see too much of the um, floating proposal that I've seen where Canals plays underneath Acosta and Stieber um, with uh, Assad out the, on the left and Ariola on the right. That might be a little too attack-minded for a starting lineup, um, especially with mostly road games, but um, it's, it's good to know that that's an option. Um, it's good to know that... Um, the competition is, is, is severe there. It's not just on paper, a tough competition there. That's, you know, right now we have indications that everybody's giving um, everything they've got to make sure that they're going to be in the starting lineup on the opening day. Obviously Lucho isn't going to be starting because of his suspension, but um, it's still a, a, a big positive to have that much competition in the team right now. Ben, do you think there's much to be gleaned from the, the lineups? We saw in this game the fact that that some guys came out early in the game and you know started it, and some guys only came out later. Uh, I don't think there's that much to be gleaned from it. I mean, uh, I, th- I think the most indicative one is on the forward line where Darren Maddox started with the uh, first team, and then Patrick Mullins came in with the uh, reserves in the second half, and. That's the one where I think maybe you can read a little bit into that. Maybe Darren Maddox, uh, especially with his speed, has a leg up over Patrick Mullins at this very moment. But it's going to change throughout preseason. I'm sure Mullins is going to get his time with the first team as well. We'll see what happens against Philly this weekend. But uh, the rest of it, I think it's a little more iffy. I mean, obviously, Ariola didn't uh, do a lot in this game. And he's obviously a starter. Uh, uh, John Roqueho is gone from camp, so they wanted to see what he could do, and now he is no longer with the team. Um, Shannon Williams is obviously gone as well. Uh, so it's the first preseason game. I don't take that much into it, but just with forwards, I think it is a interesting piece of uh, of nothingness to chew on. It, it is a data point. Uh, I think we need some more before we just can say who Ben Olsen rates up top. And it may be situational, but um, it's definitely a data point. And I, I would have expected Mullins to get the nod. Uh, so seeing Maddox get it was interesting. And seeing him score do, was good. I, and I do like, like, I do enjoy the possibility of uh, Assad, Ariola, and Maddox who are all very fast running at pace, uh, springing a counterattack with Acosta pulling the strings, uh, re- wreaking havoc on opposing defenses. Uh, DC United hasn't had a lot of speed like this much speed in a very long time. So it's a, it, that, that possibility is exciting. After the game, uh, we, we or since the end of the game. We we've seen DC United's first preseason cuts, uh, as Ben alluded to, fullbacks Shannon Williams and John Riquejo Jr. are both gone, which probably bodes well for uh, a, a favorite of this podcast, Chris Dewey Um 
uh, he he looks like he's suddenly more likely to to get a contract and rejoin the team this year. Uh, draft picks Afonso Pinheiro and Rafael Adon- Adrande Santos are both both also gone from camp. Uh, released most likely to try to find a landing spot while preseason in MLS and USL is ongoing. Um, you guys have anything you want to add to to that? Any thoughts? I'm just glad that uh, I mean Chen Williams. I, I, I hope he gets gainful employment somewhere, but I'm glad that he was beaten out for that spot on DC United's team. I, I would really prefer Chris Duyachem or anyone else uh, to take his spot. Yeah, I, I think that- Jason Anderson for fullback. Yeah, I'm not fast. Yeah, I no, prefer it. I'm very slow. Um, <laughs> no, I, I think the writing on the wall, or the writing was on the wall once uh, O'Neill Fisher was signed um, for Williams. It's just a, a pri- it becomes a price point thing as much as anything else. Um, Williams would have taken a senior roster spot, whereas um, Odayachim probably will not. Um, so, with uh, I, I believe with the Assad signing, there's now two senior roster spots uh, left open. Um, so you have to be mindful of that too. You don't want to sign a bunch of guys for that. And then when you're looking at filling out your roster, you're looking for that one more big move and you've only got supplemental spots left uh, available. That's not really good roster management. So, um, Williams was in trouble as soon as that trade was done. Um, as far as the other guys go, um, you know, Requeo, I, I don't think he played that poorly. I thought his positioning looked pretty decent, uh, against Malmo, but, he did look extremely one-footed. It looked like everything had to be on his left. Um, there yeah. was a moment where he made a good interception, uh, using even though his right foot would have been the natural foot to put in the way of the ball. He used his left, the outside of his left foot to take the first touch. He used his left foot to take a second and a third touch, and then he tried to play a left-footed pass across the top of the box that almost uh, turned into another chance for Malmo. So um, having uh, such a glaring issue where. You know, it's one thing like Taylor Kemp is pretty one footed, but you don't see him exclusively using his left foot. He will use his right foot for some stuff. Um, and and being that one footed is, is you know, it, it makes it very easy for other teams to defend against you. They just force you inside on your on your wrong foot and then they reap all the benefits of these turnovers, um, especially in a league that more and more um, is about high pressure. That's a big flaw. And and. Um, I mean, granted, you know, we're judging 45 minutes with an unfamiliar team. It's, it's a little bit of a difficult spot for him, but um, it, it's definitely it was a concern for me. And the fact that he's not sticking is not all that much of a surprise, though. You know, if you're looking for positions that America is in short supply of uh, left back is pretty high up the list. Um, mm-hmm. As far as the other guys, the draft picks. um Santos, I thought, had a couple decent moments when he came in um, uh, after, I guess, after the hour mark. Um, but it was, it, the game was a little disjointed, like we talked about before, and um, Malmo was pushing pretty hard. So it was, it was hard for him to really get involved. So it's hard to really get a handle on exactly how he looks surrounded by MLS quality players. Um, I am a little surprised that they're done already, um, just from the fact that the roster only has um, 22, 23 players on it. Um, I should remember this, but it's been a very long day for me. Um, but, uh, there's, you know, Olsen says he wants to run with 28. 
Um, but if you let those two go, where do you get the, you know, where do you get to 28 from? Um, I know they're both internationals at this point. Um, they haven't received, at least as far as we know, they haven't received green cards yet, which is a major concern when um, Assad technically now is over United's limit until somebody else gets a green card. And by somebody else, we mean Frederick Briant because everyone else doesn't really have a path to one very quickly, whereas he does. Um, but until that comes through, Assad is technically over the, or one international, if they had to send the squad as is today to MLS, they'd have to leave one of their internationals unregistered. Um, so that I'm sure was part of the problem. And, you know, we know that United tends to try and do right by uh, players and trialists. And this is a situation where you say, all right, we don't know if you're going to get a contract. It doesn't look likely. Um, if we let you go now, you've got the second half of MLS camps and USL camps across the country. Whereas if they held on to them until, you know, the last week of February and then they cut them loose, they might not be able to find anyone with an open spot. And then all of a sudden they're just kind of out there screwed. So um, it is possible. Well, especially, that they, go ahead. And especially, and especially Santos might be able to uh, come back to Richmond and uh, hook up with the kickers who I, I'm pretty sure still need a 10. So. Yeah, and they, they should know him awfully well. Um, exactly. I don't know the exact distance between city stadium and VCU stadium, but it's not far. Um, I'm pretty um, sure. I- the sports Becker stadium is on the boulevard. Uh, city stadium is in Carytown. I would Warning, guess about, Ben is about to do math. Yeah. Well, Ben is about to Richmond. Uh, I'd guess like <laughs> two to three miles between right. the two stadiums. Close enough to see uh, pretty regularly, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, um, it, you know, from from multiple angles, I see why it happened, but it is still sort of a surprise given that um, as of now, we're recording this on Tuesday, we don't know who the second round of trialists are. Um, so the only... It's me and Jason and Adam. <laughs> We're the new trialists. If the three of us are the are making the roster, then this team is not going to have a good season this year. We're, and we're going to have to spend a lot of time complaining about ourselves uh, on this podcast. So that's going to be interesting. Uh, as Jason said, DC United did trade for O'Neill Fisher, sending $50,000 of general allocation money to Seattle for the rights to, to him. He'll be playing fullback, uh, probably depth. Um, at, at both fullback positions, but who knows? He could fight his way into the starting lineup. We uh, the, the bigger news is that Yamil Assad's acquisition by DC United is official. It was announced uh, this week. He's, yeah, they, they sent, let's see. Let, let's see if I can get this right without having looked it up in a little while. They sent $200,000 of, TAM and a hundred thousand dollars of GAM in twenty eighteen nope. to Atlanta. Did I get that backwards? You got it backwards. Okay, so two hundred thousand of GAM, the more valuable asset, yeah. and a hundred grand of TAM in twenty eighteen, a hundred grand of each uh in twenty nineteen, plus another hundred grand if he happens to play any games for DC United in twenty twenty. That is what Atlanta is getting from this. DC United is paying uh, Velez, uh, Assad's club in Argentina. Uh, the Irish Argentine train magnates. Yes. 
yes. as, as we discussed. Thank you for the Obviously. history lesson, official archivist. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sending them $300,000 as a loan fee with a, a purchase option of $700,000. We have no idea what Assad himself is getting paid. Uh, I think right. it's we, important and we might to not note. find that out. Um, yeah. Because if, he, if he's being uh, paid down, if his salary hit is being paid down with TAM, we're just going to see like 150000 as a line item on the budget, and we're not going to actually find out what his salary is. So, And that's, that's, that's the implications that I saw from things on Twitter this afternoon, is that it looked like he's probably being paid down right. with TAM. Oh, he definitely will be. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, the team didn't announce that, but I know Goff reported it. It was, it was our assumption from, from the jump. Um, I believe um, – Paul Tenorio might have also mentioned it when he first um, mm-hmm. was reporting this. I think he might have mentioned that in there as part of the intention. So Assad didn't play against Malmo. Um, I would expect him he, expect to see him. He was in the stands to watch the the game. Yeah, he, he was, was in attendance. See it, but uh, did not partake, participate. Probably making this the worst kept secret in in MLS yeah. this offseason. Especially uh, since uh, DC United's Twitter account made a very tongue-in-cheek uh, video of them following Assad uh, on Twitter yesterday. Yeah, that was that was fun. Especially it was fun. A lot of our our listeners were were part of the announce Assad hashtag announce Assad movement uh, that that never thankfully never got past the nascent stages on Twitter. Um, everyone who tweeted announce Assad, you're the real MVP. Um, I would expect Assad to play against Philadelphia this Saturday when DC United's preseason gets back underway. Uh, Jason, any any other thoughts on on him before we get out of here and bring in Alicia? Uh, I, I mean, I guess the main thing that when you look at this, um, the price tag of this deal, when you when you add all that stuff up, we already talked about. Um, the deal maxes out before before his salary. You're talking about about 1.6 million um, in total expenditure between actual cash uh, and TAM and GAM and all that, um, and that doesn't include his salary or the um, the TAM that we are, expect is going to be used to pay his salary down. Um, and it, you know, in, in that context, it's it's roughly what Lucho Acosta um, what that transfer cost um, with. Um, the final fee that United paid Boca juniors and then the loan fee before that. Um, and I think when you look at it in that context, it's like, yeah, this is definitely a worthwhile uh, transfer because, um, or uh, assuming that he ends up being uh, his, his contract ends up being purchased at the end of the season um, because Assad has accomplished more than uh, Lucho has at this point in their respective MLS careers. Um Granted, he was playing for a high-powered Atlanta attack where um, everyone was so terrified of Almiron and Martinez and Vialba that um, he was able to to get a little more freedom than he would otherwise. But still, um, I, I think when you look at those two players, uh, the the valuation being the same, I think that's that's a pretty solid, uh, pretty economical use of the money available for Dave Casper. I think um, some observers of the league were all kind of unanimous that this is a steal for DC United to get, to get this uh, price in because um, Vela Sarsfield was apparently asking Atlanta for a significantly higher amount of money. Yeah. Um, 1.8 million dollars is what they were looking for from 
Atlanta yeah. and essentially getting DC United has the option to buy him for a total investment uh, to to Bella Sarsfield anyway of a million dollars, yeah. which is a right. lot less than one point eight. <laughs> Although you also throw in the uh, loan fee, so it bumps it up a little bit. Well, the loan that that includes the loan fee. Seven hundred grand is the the purchase option oh, you're plus right. three hundred right. for the so all in at least as far as a cash outlay to to Vela Sarsfield a million dollars. Um, obviously, there's there's more than that going to Atlanta because of MLS machinations. But you know, e- even then, it still looks like a pretty good deal for DC United. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, you know, the, the one concern that I had, especially, you know, now that we've talked about the preseason game, um, with Stieber ending up on the bench, most likely, because we have to assume that Paul Ariola stays as a starter on the right. Assad is probably going to start on the left. Lucho is probably going to start in the middle. Um, you do have to wonder about set-piece delivery, um, because as bad as this team was in that department last year, a lot of it was delivery. Um, and it really, their success in that department improved quite a bit once uh, Stieber arrived. And the fact that they're going to be a road team, the fact that they're going to be defending counter uh, as a plan A, most likely, um, set pieces are going to play a major factor for DC United. And if if no one's able to, you know, if Stieber's playing half an hour every game, um, what happens in that first hour? Is anyone else able to... Um, come close enough to replicating his service that we're not really missing out on it? Um, or does Ben Olsen have to look at that and, and start making um, decisions based on getting Stieber on the field to get that delivery on the field? Um, I don't know that it's necessarily a situation. He's not necessarily Giovinco when it comes to uh, shooting free kicks on goal. Um, but when you don't have any other proven uh, options for that, that department, um, you do have to think about it because set pieces, I think, if United is successful on set pieces in the early part of the season, they're probably going to stay afloat during their long road trip and come into their home schedule with a shot at getting to the playoffs. But if they have another season like last year in that, in the set piece department alone, where, um, you know, depending on how you look at it, I personally, I counted the Jerry Jeffrey goal in new England as a set piece goal because it was, you know, new England didn't clear the ball at all. And he, he fired it in. Um, but if you don't count that, if you say it has to be direct, you know, the service comes in and you get the first contact and that goes in immediately, um, then United took almost the entire season to get a set piece goal. Um, and if that repeats itself, then this team is going to have a hard time getting off the ground in those road games. And, um, there's a pretty strong correlation between United teams that don't get going early and United teams that miss the playoffs. They're just going to play a two, three, five, aren't they? (laughs) <laughs> that's how they're going to get everybody on the field. Uh, pretty much. I mean, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe three defenders instead of two, but close enough. Okay. A WM. <laughs> we're, we're just going to slowly evolve through inverting the pyramid until we find the right formation. I mean, we're the hipster United. Now you've got to go back to what, what was, what was old is now new again. I feel like there's a sequel to the damned United with that name just waiting to be made. I haven't seen it. Read the book. It's a good book. It's a good movie, but it's also a good book. 
And on that note, we will be right back with Alicia Rodriguez from Angels on Parade to talk about the newest expansion team in MLS. Stick around. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are, are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages, or or do something else oh, nefarious, in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster. Uh, another new team will enter Major League Soccer this year, and thankfully, it will not be another interloper united. Instead, it'll be LAFC. Uh, they are bringing a second team back to Southern California, which gives us just the excuse we need to bring back on one of our favorite guests. Alicia Rodriguez is the managing editor at Angels on Parade and uh, a regular contributor uh, regular guest here on filibuster welcome back alicia thanks for having me on guys appreciate uh, it you know the drill we got to ask this what are you drinking i am drinking cran raspberry lacroix right now that sounds good it's delicious are you a millennial uh i think technically yes i'm on the very edge of I'm I'm one of the old millennials. Yeah, I I, I've taken to referring to us as first wave millennials. <laughs> That's perfect. I like it. So let's talk about your. What, all right, first off, what what nicknames are LAFC going for? Are they going to be the Angels? Are they going to be? What can we refer to them other than LAFC or Los Angeles Football Club or the Not Galaxy? Uh, well, you know, it's, it's pretty early, so it's hard to say for sure what, um, what's going to take off. I think angels are probably out because of the Anaheim slash Los Angeles angels of major league baseball. Um, mm-hmm. I just think there's yeah. too much of a connection there. So probably not. Um, I believe the owners have, uh, trademarked wings. So wouldn't be surprised if there's some sort of, uh, something connected to that at some the point. McCartneys. So can we call uh, them? Yeah. I was going to say, can we call them the fighting Paul McCartney's? Yeah, maybe, maybe uh, team on the run or something. Um, <laughs> but I, I mean, right now as my kind of alternate when referring to them in writing, I'm just calling them the black and gold, which I know sounds pretty similar to what uh, DC United does with the black and red. And as your uh, namesake website uses for your, uh, you know, for your name, but I mean, it's, you know, it's pretty, um, 
pretty standard, but you know, I'm kind of allowing for the opportunity for, for some nicknames to flourish and we'll see what takes off in, in the coming you know months and years ahead. So there've been some big names associated with LAFC and not just the Will Ferrells of the world. Um, you have Carlos Vela coming in. Benny Failhaber is well-known in MLS. Bob Bradley. Who among them or or whoever else associated with the team has been the, the most important acquisition in this first offseason? That's a really good question. Um, I think it's probably a combination of uh, Bradley, obviously, as a coach who you hope you know can set the template at this stage of, of MLS. Um, obviously, he... Uh, won a double in the Chicago Fire's first season, which was technically a, an expansion season, although that was only three years into the league. Um, but he seems pretty confident about his abilities to maybe not necessarily win another double in the first year, but at least um, put out a strong team right away and not be you know kind of an abject failure like some of the expansion teams have been um, in the past. I think him and then uh, Vela, I think, was a pretty important signing. Um, you know, he's a guy that obviously you never quite know what you're going to get with him on the field. There's there's times when he seems to kind of just coast through games. But I do think that when he is motivated, um, when he's playing well, um, when he's in really good shape, he's a, a really fantastic player. And, um, you know, he's, he's come into – LA, I think in really good shape. Um, it looks like he's lost some weight actually. Um, and he seems to be pretty energized by this whole thing. So I think that's a really good sign. It's not a matter of him sort of, you know, well, I guess I'll play and we'll see what happens. I mean, he seems like genuinely excited for both on field and off field reasons. And, um, I spoke with him with some other reporters recently and he said that, um, you know, he's a pretty shy guy, but he realizes that part of the deal with coming to MLS and especially a, an expansion team is that he's going to have to do a lot of promotion and, you know, really get out there and, and talk about this team a lot. And he says he's ready for it. Like he's ready to kind of step out of his shell a little bit. And for me, I think that was a pretty good sign that um, this is not a guy who's just going to try and coast through things. I think he's really taking this challenge head on. And um, hopefully that also bears itself on, out on the field as well. What's a more under the radar name that our listeners might not have heard much of, but who who's going to be important to LAFC this year? Um, well, I mean, it seems like Diego Rossi is going to play a pretty big role, and he's the other uh, designated player that they've signed so far. They still have one slot open, and we'll see what happens as far as as that signing. There's been some kind of chit chat lately that seems like they're maybe honing in on their third DP, and that person may be coming in either secured or coming in before the season starts. Um, but as far as Rossi's concerned, he's a teenager who came from Peñarol in, in Uruguay, uh, really kind of worked his way up pretty quickly. And obviously when it comes to teenagers, you know, he hasn't done a lot of, uh, he hasn't played a ton of games, of course, but he's played a fair amount. He's been in the Copa Libertadores and um, he served as captain for a while for Peñarol. So, I mean, I realize that South American players – kind of churn through the system so quickly that it's not necessarily a surprise to see an 18-year-old captaining a team. But still, it's, it's a, I think, a decent sign that this guy doesn't seem like a total flake uh, if he's been given that role. And um, he's going to be expected to do a lot on the attacking end. And um, 
I think presumably uh, scoring quite a few goals. And, um, you know, maybe if he really takes off, he could rival some of these other guys that are coming into the league as far as hype and and results um, amongst kind of young imports at the moment. So, Alicia, uh, as I'm sure you know, MLS allows teams to have between 28 and 30 players on the roster for a season. Do you think LAFC knows that? <laughs> uh, I think they do. Um, they have 18 at the moment. So let's see. They've got half a month. They've got just over two weeks to uh, reach um, compliant, roster compliance. So, uh, yeah, I think there's a pretty good chance they're going to sign whatever uh, – six or seven players to, to get up to the minimum a little more seriously. Um, where do you think the rest of those players are coming from? You mentioned one more DP, but where do you think the, the other players are coming for? Are the draft picks going to get signed? Uh, are they going to go USL route? Are they going to go discovery players? Where, where's the balance of the team coming from? Yeah, that's, I mean, that is kind of a good question. I do think um, Tristan Blackman, uh, his signing hasn't been announced, but he was the number three pick. He was the pick that um, LASC picked up from DC. Um, you know, he, he wasn't somebody who came in signed, but I don't see any reason that he's not going to be signed to a deal. So I think he's pretty much in. So that would make it 19. Um, beyond that, it's kind of a question because there's a few guys who might who are internationals who might have green cards and may not um, take up international slots. But as it stands, it looks like they're pretty much full as far as international slots at the moment. Right. Um, So they're going to need to trade for some or maybe cut a guy or two. Um, I don't know if that's something that they're seriously considering, but they're going to have to do some like, you know, shuffling around or, you know, in order to get up with enough, you know, have enough international slots in order to, to make everything fit. Um, I do expect there to be a few more international signings, but obviously if you're already up at your limit or if not at it, maybe they have one free one right now. And I'm a little skeptical to even have that. Um, you know, they're going to have to obviously sign some more domestic players. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. And then my other question is about a uh, player who is near and dear to some DC United fans hearts. Uh, the LAFC recently signed uh, Dan Yakovich coming back from uh, Japan, Decky. former DC United. Yes, former DC United center back. Uh, he probably won't start right away because you all have uh, Laurent Simon and Walker Zimmerman. But what role do you see for Dan Yakovich? Is he the third center back slash spot starter or is he uh, more of a depth piece? Well, right now they only have three center backs. Uh, so he's definitely the third guy. But um Seriously, though, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that is going to be his role. Um, I think there's a decent chance that Simon ends up going to the World Cup. Not guaranteed, but, you know, decent shot. Um, and if that happens, then he is probably going to miss, like, at least four or five games. Um, what is this World Cup of which you speak? Yeah, I know. Yeah, I it's the thing they do every that. four years. Um, we, it's called Passover here in the United States. but Ah, uh, Okay. Uh, yeah, so if he goes, then they're obviously going to need somebody to step up. Um, I think that Yakovic is here to, to be that guy to step in as a spot starter to, you know, do the Open Cup games. Um, you know, heaven forbid if either the starters gets hurt, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but I don't really expect him to be 
somebody who's going to be playing a ton. Um, but we'll see. Uh, Alicia, when I when I look at the the roster, I mean, we've talked about a lot of the bigger names, but um, right now it seems like Marco Urania is is uh, kind of the only real viable choice to be the center forward. It seems like every time I've read about preseason games, it's been Vela on one wing, Diego Rossi on the other. And Reina has scored some goals, but um, is that, is there a feeling that that's where, where uh, LAFC is going to end up once they're done with, I assume what's going to be a whirlwind couple of weeks, or do you think that's one of the spots they're looking at improving? I think there's a pretty good chance that Urania is going to be the kind of target striker or, you know, central striker. Um, but I do, I do think there's, it's pretty well set that they're going to start with a four, three, three. So I think that Bradley is um, envisioning a, a situation where, you know, guys are going to be kind of um, interchanging up top and, you know, people are going to be making cha- runs into the channels and, you know, flipping sides. And, you know, there's, I think there's, going to be a lot of movement um, in the attack. But Urania is a guy who's really interesting because last year with uh, the Earthquakes, I think he, in a lot of respects, kind of um, did better than it seemed like his track record had indicated. And um, he had a really good year for Costa Rica too. I think one of the risks, obviously, of picking him up, you know, this year is, was that his ceiling last year? Is is he going to be any as good or or even potentially any better, or is he, is he going to, you know, backslide considerably this year? Um, I think the fact that he's scoring in preseason is a really good thing because that means he's, you know, got some confidence going into the season. And if he has some confidence, then maybe he can start on a roll and, you know, have a, have a strong season. Um, but as far as signing other guys, I mean, I think if they can find a, you know, Chicharito, <laughs> Um, I think they obviously would take him, but I don't know necessarily that that's kind of the, the main thing they're looking for right now. Right now they're looking for uh, midfielders because that's definitely the area of weakness as far as the roster is concerned. And they need to get some more guys in who uh, can play around Phil Haber in a four three three that, you know, can give you something on the defensive side as well as in the top. Yeah, I, that's kind of uh, going to where I kind of going where I was going to go because I look at, the rest of the team and there's, you know, Callum Malice has been in MLS for a while, but he's never been a full-time starter. Um, Omar Gaber was advertised more as a right back who could play defensive midfield, but now Steven Betashore is there as well. So maybe he, maybe Gaber ends up in the midfield, but it does seem like um, after fail, Haber, you run out of midfielders pretty quickly uh, it, with the way the roster's uh, built right now. Um do you think that that they're prepared to lean on maybe someone like Joao Moutinho before the draft? There was talk that he might be able to play as a defensive midfielder, or do you think that it's going to be players that just aren't here yet? Um, I mean, that's a good question. I think Gaber is probably going to play in right side of midfield, um, if I had to guess. Uh, and then on the left side, I don't think Moutinho is going to play there. I think he actually is probably pushing Jordan Harvey pretty close for starting spot at left back right now. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if he's actually the starter there. And then that sort of leaves um, probably an opening for the left side of midfield. Um, and we'll see what happens. I, I mean, there's there's been a lot of talk that they're looking to Europe for, for a midfielder. Um, and, you know, we'll see if it – 
if it comes together or not. But yeah, I think, um, you know, like you mentioned Malice and they also got Aaron Kovar on loan from Seattle for the year. You know, they're guys who have decent skill sets and promise, but um, I think they're players who are probably meant to be depth or, um, you know, injury stand-ins, that kind of thing, and not necessarily guys are going to be starting 30 games. I think if they're starting 30 games, then teams are going to be going after them pretty hard, probably, you know, all year long. Uh, I guess moving off the field, um, something that's been kind of fascinating to me is watching the, it's been sort of weird observing uh, LAFC has got kind of a strange task because they have to sort of, they've want, they've wanted to build authenticity, but they're building it from scratch, which is always a difficult thing to do. And authenticity usually just takes time and they're trying to um, speed up that process. Um, and you have this sort of ongoing, uh, I don't want to call it a rivalry with, with the galaxy because there haven't been a game ship, but also like the murals are being defaced all over the place and there's graffiti, um, which is unusual for American soccer. Um, I, I guess I, I'm trying to get a feel for how fans that have committed to LAFC, how are they feeling about all of this off the field stuff? Cause it's been sort of a strange process that this team is going through. Yeah. I mean, as far as, um, you know, trying to build that authenticity. I mean, I, I think it's something that, like you said, it's a pretty tricky balance because it's really hard to be like, oh, our team is so amazing when they've never played a game. Um, you know, beyond even the rivalry, it's hard to be like, I'm, you know, I'm such a fan, fan, you know, fan of LAFC till I die if they've never played, you know, a game. I mean, that's really kind of weird. Um, but I think they've done a decent job as far as trying to build a community. Um, you know, they've been really good as far as working with the supporters groups. And there's been a bunch of supporters groups that have um, been created in the past three years. Um, and a couple of groups that from Chivas USA came over and sort of rebranded and just like me, you know, started over with the new team. Um, and uh, those, those groups seem to get along pretty well. Um, and they've kind of collected into a, you know, one kind of umbrella group for all these other groups, which I think is a pretty cool idea. And, you know, obviously there's always, you know, interpersonal politics and, you know, there can be a lot of back and forth on that. But I think there's also some strengths as far as kind of coming together as one big group and working with the team and um, presenting a united front as a, you know, a group of supporters. Um, So that's cool. And then the team has also done a pretty good job as far as like, having different events. They've had some watch parties and um, events where like, you know, they had it at like a brewery and people came down and, you know, they gave out tickets for tacos and beer and just people just hung out and had a good time. And, you know, I think that's kind of something that's, um, I mean, very few existing teams do that because they sort of feel like, well, the the soccer game's the product, like (laughs) You know, we don't need to really hold parties, but I think it was kind of cool to have that opportunity to meet people and, you know, talk to them and see what appealed to them from, you know, to go to LAFC and not to the Galaxy or something else. And it was pretty fascinating. And then as far as the, like, rivalry or the growing animosity, I mean, I think it's, you know, I've been thinking about it all day, um, you know, defacing the Carlos Vela mural, which was pretty big bummer. And then the Jesse's artist mural got 
um, the face as well. I mean, I think it's a bar on all sides and it reminds me of like, you know, college when college kids have to like guard the statue, you know, from like overnight before a big game or something so that they don't get paint thrown all over it. Like that happened at my college and I don't know. I just feel like it's pretty stupid. And um, I hope that that's not the direction that the, you know, the, the relationship between the teams goes in. Um, I, I hope that it's something that's more on the field and people just pay attention to the games and they just cheer for their team. You know, this is like a very Pollyanna-ish uh, feeling, but I just want them to like their teams and root for them and, you know, treat everybody else with respect. But um, obviously not everybody sees it the way I do. So we'll see. We'll see how it how it develops over now, time. I, I'm glad you mentioned um, the Chivas USA fans and um, them folding into LAFC. Um has there been a specific outreach from the team to, to bring them back into the fold? Because for a while, I mean, every Chivas USA fan could have been a free agent, you know, or maybe just give up on MLS altogether. Um, but on the, like on one hand, those fans could have taken up uh, following another team. They probably wouldn't have taken up following the galaxy. Um, but uh you know, LAFC could have been, they could have taken a take it or leave it kind of approach, or they could have specifically had some sort of plan to talk those fans into sticking around. Did that, how has that gone so far? I would say it was pretty neutral. Um, I think amongst the two fan groups that supporters groups that came over from um, Chivas USA, I mean, those people were sort of in from day one. Um, So they really didn't have to like, you know, appeal to them. They were sort of like, yeah, my team just died, but there's a new team. You know, I'm going to support that. I'm going to put my energy towards that. I am still energized by this. Um, I think beyond that, they didn't really go out to necessarily go after previous Chivas USA fans because I think number one, you know, the fan, the actual numbers and the fan base had dwindled so, so much that um, they couldn't really, you know, like what, what's, what's the base, right. you know, it's a pretty small number, frankly. And then on the other hand, I do think that there were a lot of people who were turned off by how Chivas USA was run, how it was uh, kind of left to ne- benign neglect and then how it ended up being folded. And that turned a ton of people off. And so I think LAFC prudently understood that they couldn't be like, Hey, I know that this last team like really screwed things up, but you know, we're totally not going to do that. Um, I think they, they decided to kind of go for a, a broader soccer fan, um, you know, population. If you like soccer, we plan to do it big. We plan to do it well. Um, but I don't think they necessarily went after like Chivas USA fans because, um, you know, there's a lot of baggage with that. So, um, you know, I don't think that they said we don't want Chivas USA fans. They never said that, but I, I don't think that they specifically targeted that group. I think they targeted people who like soccer in Los Angeles overall. And of course, uh, some of those people included uh, one-time Chivas USA fans. Uh, I was going to jump in about, uh, since we're talking about Chivas USA, um, among the many things that happened with Chivas USA, they always seem to have a really good academy. Has LAFC been able to capitalize on, or at least 
maybe not directly, but even just continue in that tradition? Or has have the LA Galaxy been able to swoop in and uh, rule the LA uh, soccer academy scene? Well, LAFC did not um, capitalize on Chivas USA's academy because they refused to take in Chivas USA's academy. So that academy died, and then the Galaxy ended up taking like the best coaches from that academy that were left and brought them over wholesale along with pretty much, you know, most of their teams. So like all the best prospects went over to the galaxy. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. And so that's, <laughs> that's a pretty big deal. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so in the meantime, LAFC have started their own academy. They started it from scratch and they started from the lowest um, development academy age group, which was U12 you know, over the years, oh. obviously gone down in age. So now kind of the base level is U12 and um, they're up to U14s now. So they have a few more years before they get to the U18, U19 level. Um, so it's going to be, so, you know, pr- at least two more years before they sign a pro most likely and potentially, you know, could be upwards of four or five more years before anything happens there. Um so, yeah, I mean, I think that they definitely lost a lot of ground in the short term, and we'll see how it shakes out in the long term. Um, it seems like they're kind of building in a smart way, um, but it's really hard to see, you know, unless they get all the way to the, you know, through the age groups, have a, a system in place, have a full complement of coaches there, start signing players. We see how those players perform in MLS. And, you know, then I think we can obviously make some conclusions from that. Did they do that just because they wanted a full break from Chivas USA or what, why, why did they just completely abandon and start from just the lowest age group and not even try to sign to get any like U14s, U15s, U17 players? Yeah, I think it was definitely to, um, make a clean break. I also think that obviously had they, I mean, I, you know, there's pros and cons to continuing the Academy. Um, I personally would have liked them to have done that, but had they done that, you would have seen situations where like, okay, it's 2016 and there's this really great 17 year old who has to decide between, you know, taking a deal here and a deal in Europe. Um, Gosh, there's no, (laughs) there's no MLS team for him to go to, you know, the connected to the Academy guess he's going to Europe. Like there's, you know, there's no path for him yeah. to um, the first team here in, in MLS. So, um, I mean, I, you know, again, I think you can kind of debate the merits and demerits of each approach, but they really wanted to do it their own way. They didn't want to take over some really the, the part of Chivas USA, what was by far the best and the thing that was run the best throughout. Um, they, you know, they wanted to do it their way. So, the one difference between LAFC and Chivas USA is the stadium situation. You're not going to be playing at Home Depot Center or StubHub Center or whatever its next name may be. Uh, you guys are opening the Bank of California Stadium at the end of April. Um, what do you know about what, what the stadium is going to be like? What What do you think our listeners would be interested to hear? Yeah, I mean, it's an exciting year because obviously uh, both LAFC and, and DC United are opening stadiums. Obviously, extremely different circumstances surrounding them, but it's pretty exciting. Um, 
for Bank of California Stadium, it's going to be a fairly small stadium by MLS standards. I think the capacity is going to be around 22,000, um, which I think is a good idea because um, being one of two teams in the LA area and seeing the track record of a competitive sports market overall and entertainment market, you probably don't want to build a 50,000 you know seat stadium because it's going to be hard to keep that full in good times and bad, you know, you, you never know how it's, how it's going to go. So I think 22,000, they want to keep the capacity low to keep the demand high. Um, I did a tour of the stadium last in December and um, I got to actually go in the stadium. So I went underneath and, you know, went through the loading area and um, into what will be the, uh, the locker room and then out the tunnel and, you know, basically out onto center field. I didn't go on onto the, you know, the, the grass, there was no grass at that time, but everything but that pretty much. And, um, it really looked pretty amazing. Um, they've done a lot of progress on it, uh, to see the whole project kind of unfold. They've had extremely good luck with it. Uh, no real delays whatsoever. So that's pretty shocking for a major project like that. That pretty much never happens. Yeah, but, especially um, considering it involved uh, demolition. Yeah, um, seems like everything is, is, has gone smoothly. So that's that's been really great news. And um, they're actually going to open the stadium um, without having to play any home games elsewhere. I'm not bringing that up because of DC. I'm bringing that <laughs> yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm bringing that up because, um, you know, when's the last time we've seen that um, for a, a new team coming in, building their own stadium, playing their first home game in the new stadium? I don't think that's ever happened before. So, um, you know, that's pretty cool. Uh, I, I'm pretty excited for it. And they're going to start with a, a road trip, uh, too. Not going to be as long as the you know, kind of long stretch before Audi field opens, but, um, you know, it's, it's not going to be easy. Um, they're starting the season off against the Sounders up in Seattle and the first home game is going to be against Seattle too. So they're getting that stuff out of the way quickly, but, um, those are some tough games. So we'll see how it goes. But as far as the stadium itself is concerned, it looks great. I think it's going to probably look pretty cool on TV. And, um, I'm certainly very excited to, you know, see it in action and, and see it for myself. And we're excited for you. We know what it's like to to wait for a stadium. We don't know what it's like to lose our team, thankfully, but we're glad you're getting one back. Uh, why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you online? Sure thing. Uh, you can find my work at Angels on Parade, and uh, you can find me on Twitter at Soccer Musings. Find us at blackandredunited.com or patreon.com slash filibuster if you are up for throwing a few dollars our way and supporting us financially. We're on Twitter at filibusterdcu for the podcast, at blackandredu for the website. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Internet Archive, Google Play, wherever podcasts are purveyed. And if you feel up to it, you know, leave us a rating and review. I've been told that helps us, um, although I haven't verified it myself. So who knows? Mostly, though, please tell a friend about the show. That's the best way to spread the word. We will talk to you real soon. Until then, for Jason and Ben and thanking Alicia one more time, I'm Adam. Say goodbye, Jason. Goodbye. Goodbye.